You're listening to the Bold Face Truth Podcast with Amy Greensmith, episode 493. You can find information on anything referenced in this week's episode at amygreensmith.com slash EP493. Oh, well, hey there. Check you out listening to self-help pods and working on yourself. Fuck yeah. Quick question. You know those situations where your boss asks you to take on one more thing, or your partner asks what's bothering you, and you respond with a bold-faced lie? Oops. What would shift for you if you actually started telling the bold-faced truth? Everything. Listen, if you struggle with people-pleasing, perfectionism, and you could use some help with boundaries or speaking up, you are in the right place. Thank God. I am Amy Green-Smith. I'm a certified and credentialed life coach, hypnotherapist, and keynote speaker. Fancy. And I've been working in the personal development space since the mid-2000s. Vintage. Sometimes I'll be solo, other times you'll hear from smart folks offering you easy-to-implement tools to help you tell the bold-faced truth. Yes! Well, hello, pod people. Amy here. Time to talk about ways that self-help goes wrong. And what I'm talking about here are nuances to the personal development journey that we don't often talk about. And please know that I'm not talking about these from a a shame or a guilt place, but rather from an awareness place, because there are certain kind of trends and catchphrases and things that get toted in the personal growth atmosphere and community that I think sometimes have far more nuance than we give credence to. This is not the opportunity for you to beat yourself up or, you know, be mad at yourself or anything like that. It's more about creating a heightened awareness because if you've heard me talk about personal growth, I talk about it's called personal development for a reason because it's fucking personal. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And oftentimes, we will hear topics around toxic people or around self-love or things like that, and we think that it is a blanket application to absolutely everyone's life, and that's not the case. And I will also say that oftentimes, as you go through life or as you're kind of discerning what sort of tool to work with... That is completely going to vary depending on what's going on with you in that exact moment and who are the other people that are involved. So I want to give you that very expansive approach as we go into this topic. So I want you to be thinking as we talk about these six different ways that self-help can kind of go awry, I want you to think about what are your areas that you want to stretch and grow? What is hitting home for you? And what can you actually do? to get into action and create a little bit of change around this. So let's dive in. Six different things that tend to go awry in self-help. Number one, giving preachy or unsolicited advice. And this is very similar to any person in your life who has recently learned something new. Now, I speak from total experience here. Once I've learned something new, I can tend to get really self-righteous about it and act elitist to anyone who maybe isn't quite as astute as I am on that particular topic. This can also show up not just sort of 
from a place of grandiloquence or arrogance. It can also show up in a way where you are so focused on fixing other people that you're not necessarily looking at how that lesson applies to you. For example, maybe you are listening to a podcast and you are hearing a bunch of different tools or tips or a conversation around boundaries. And you immediately start to think about your sister who has an incredibly overbearing work workplace and has colleagues that are constantly walking all over them. And you really want to impart this awesome wisdom that you've been learning from this podcast. Well, that is fantastic and amazing. But if you're sitting there listening to that content and you're thinking, my sister needs this, my sister needs this, my sister needs this. Sure, that may also be the case, but we're also discounting what you need, how that content might be layered on top of your life, not just your sister. This can also show up in sort of a a prescription of what somebody needs to do. And I have to really watch myself with that too because I tend to have a lot of tools and a portfolio of tactics that I can say, hey, try this. So I've had to really learn how to offer and invite and be okay if someone says, no, I'm not that interested. And that really lends itself to conversational consent. If you are talking to your sister and you did listen to this podcast around boundaries that you think would be really helpful for her, instead of prescribing, instead of saying things like, you know what you need to do, or you need to listen to this show, or you need to read this book, or you can't keep allowing this. Most of the time when someone's in that place, they know that there's another way to go about it, but they have no idea how. What are the tactics? Because they've been working with the same skill set that they've always been working with until they start to adopt new patterns of behavior. If they're in that place of discomfort, if they are having a difficult time, it's likely that you telling them, you need to do this, you need to do that, makes them feel less than or like they're fucking up yet again. If somebody is coming to you and they are distraught, one of the best things that you can do in those situations is to say, hey, listen, my inclination is to give you advice around this. That is likely not what you need. So let me ask you, how can I be amazing for you? Or what would be really helpful to hear right now? Or even giving suggestions like, would a hug be helpful right now? Giving preachy or unsolicited advice most of the time is completely well-intended. You're not trying to push somebody away. You're not trying to act better than. Most of the time, you're just genuinely excited that you've learned something that's been really helpful to you. But I think about personal growth and sharing personal growth with people in a similar vein to anything else that somebody is into. I remember years ago, we had a family friend who was so pumped about his CPAP machine because it was helping him sleep and he was so concerned about not breathing during the night and that he might pass away. And he it just opened up this whole new world for him. 
that was his journey and not necessarily something that we were in the market for or that excited about. But he really wanted us to have the same level of excitement that he had. So he he was like, check this out and try this on. And it wanted me to try on his full-on CPAP mask. It's this perspective of if it means this much to me, it's got to mean this much to you. But you have to remember that when you are getting really emphatic about a new tool or a book you should listen to or a person that you've been following, you have to really pay attention to where that other person is in their particular journey and also in their day. Like, do they have the capacity to even hear what you have to offer at this moment? It's a little bit like your friend that gets sucked into some sort of multi-level marketing. Maybe they're selling leggings or protein powder, and they want to talk to you about this amazing opportunity that they have for you. And you know that they're bought in hook, line, and sinker, but you're not necessarily in that place. Think how much more you'd be willing to listen to that friend if they said to you, hey, listen, I'm super pumped about it. I would love to share that with you. But I also totally respect if you're not in that place. The same is true for anything that you're learning in the personal development sphere. In fact, whenever I do retreats with clients and students, that's one of the things we talk about is what is it like going back into your real life now that you're all amped up and you have all these great ideas and great tools and new ways that you're going to behave with people in your life coat that on top of everyone in our life without really getting that consent. I mentioned the topic of offering and inviting. That was a skill set that we were taught when I went to coaching school like 20 years ago. And it was this idea that even as the practitioner, I could have ideas about things, but I was not going to prescribe that on someone. In fact, they gave us this concept called yes, no, counteroffer. So I would offer an invite to a client. I would say, hey, I have a challenge for you. Here's what I'm thinking. You always have full agency. You always have full autonomy. So yes, no, counteroffer. I want you to throw away your scale by Tuesday morning. So the antithesis of this is basically just conversational consent. If there's something that you've been thinking about or, wow, I do think my sister could really benefit from this, be aware of what current state she's in when you're having that conversation. Is she prepared to hear that from you? And then say, hey, listen, I was listening to something the other day and it really made me think of you. I'd love to pass it on to you. But I really want to give you that freedom to to say yes or no. It was a podcast about boundaries. What do you think about that? Would you be interested in me sending that to you? And whatever the other person says, it's it's that's their choice, right? That's your job now is to respect whatever they said. Yes, no, or counteroffer. Number two, another way that... Self-help can go a little awry, and this is an internal process, is thinking that you are, quote, done if you've addressed an issue or if you've done some inner child work, let's say, and you are like, okay, sweet, I'm done with all my mother wound stuff or father wound stuff. I'm, I'm all good now. No, my friend. A majority of what the personal growth process is like is managing and engaging with hardship, engaging with triggers from an empowering stance. Not that 
triggers no longer exist. It's that we engage with them in a powerful way. And we oftentimes think if we went through a really difficult divorce, let's say, and maybe we went to a therapist during that chapter of our life, and now we feel like I've dealt with all of my abandonment stuff. I've dealt with all of my I'm not lovable beliefs. And our brain and our mind is kind of like, how cute, (laughs) how cute. Because we are around so much stimuli, whether it is in form of social media or how we are inundated with 24-hour news cycle, hustle culture and working and like go, 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 go. We are dealing with so much external stimuli all the time. So know that it is very likely that a new and different trigger may pop up at a different time in your life. Oftentimes, if you go through something that has any sort of reminiscence to something that you've gone through in the past, it'll kick it back up again. New trauma will kick up old trauma. So you might be chilling for like a decade even. And then you go through something like, let's say you work for somebody who reminds you so much of a father figure or somebody who was abusive in your past, maybe your ex. And now you're dealing with a situation that looks an awful lot like something that you had gone through in the past. Naturally and defensively, our bodies will kick in and our brain will say, hey, bitch, pay attention. Are we, is this okay? Are we safe? This looks a lot like that other unsafe situation. Better call in all the reinforcements, which is almost always the inner critic. Again, inner critic always fighting for homeostasis, trying to keep you safe, trying to ward off any type of threat that might be imminent. Another way that this can show up around thinking that you're done if you've addressed an issue in a class or talked to a therapist about it, is feeling like because I've given voice to it, now I don't have to do anything. Like the big scary thing was actually telling someone or going through a worksheet and processing that in a class format or something like that. Yes, there is tons of power to that. And you're not done. In fact, that's one of my favorite things to say to people when they say, I have gone through this so many times. I'm like, yes, and you're not done. And I have to do that to myself too. And you're not done, sweet pea. You're not done. Because here's the thing. Healing, whether it's with our physical bodies or our emotional selves, is not on our timeline. How many times have we been trying to heal from an ailment and we're ready to get back to the gym or we're ready to start going running or we're ready to be able to go out dancing again and our body's like, no, bitch, you're going to stay home and ice your fucking ankle. Healing is very seldomly on our timeline. We want to be done with our parental wound, childhood bullshit so much faster than we actually are. There is tremendous power by speaking your truth into ears that can hear you. So if you've experienced something really traumatic or you weren't in a place to process something because you had young children and you had to hustle, being able to actually tell somebody that is definitely the first step. In fact, 
thanks to the work of Dr. Brene Brown, our lady Brene of House Brown, she talks about how shame resilience, moving past that idea that I am wrong, I am bad, I am not worthy, the first step of that is to bring it into the light because shame will thrive in the darkness. So of course we need to process that and then we need to start taking concerted effort and action. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more when we get to number four. But before we do that, let's go to number three. Now, this one is pretty topical. It's something that I see quite, quite frequently. And it is about branding people as, quote, toxic or pathologizing them and saying you are a, quote, narcissist or a sociopath so that you don't have to have a tough or difficult conversation. Now, before you throw your phone out the window, I am not talking about actual abuse. I'm not talking about physical, emotional, financial, sexual abuse. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about a person that you have in your life on a regular basis And you would prefer to complain about how they behave as opposed to having a really difficult conversation with them. The barometer then becomes asking yourself, does this person have any idea how I feel about this issue? Or do they have any idea what a big deal this is? Sometimes it's the magnitude or the weight of the issue, not that you haven't said something. Sometimes we do say, hey, that kind of bothers me and I appreciate it if you didn't say things like that in my company. I remember years ago, I had a friend, this is again, probably two decades ago, who was going through a divorce and she had spoken up many times throughout their relationship and had said, hey, listen, this particular behavior I really don't appreciate, or this is really hard for me. She had said very clearly what the issues were, but what she had failed to do is to emphasize the depth of the importance to her, the magnitude that she could not continue in that relationship if there wasn't some marked change as it related to those issues. If that other person would have no idea that this bothered you that much, or that it was a big deal to you, then that's likely yours to remedy. Now, where this does not apply is when we're talking about abusive situations. If you have someone who is always, always, always blaming you for everything, saying things like, well, if you would only do this, then I wouldn't have to do X, Y, or Z, right? Always putting the blame on you, never taking ownership, name calling, yelling and screaming, throwing stuff. That is not a recipe for thoughtful communication. That is a completely different skill set of how to deal with somebody like that. And I'll tell you, your number one goal with a situation like that is self-preservation. So doing whatever you need to do to take care of yourself, to take care of your finances, to take care of your children. But here's what I see far more often than not. A student or a client or somebody I might know feels as though someone else is very much in the wrong. Something that they've done, maybe it's a boss or a friend, Something that they've done is unacceptable. 
And instead of giving that person the opportunity to be what you need, you would rather just say, you know what, they're just so selfish. They're just toxic. They're just a narcissist. And so you can stay in that place of blame. And what that creates is the comfort to not have to do hard things, to not have to really discern, was there any piece of this matter that actually is mine to own? Have I truly given them everything they need to be what I need in this situation? Have I been super clear? Have I communicated in a way that they can hear me as opposed to yelling and screaming or being passive aggressive or hoping that they just get the hint somehow? All I'm encouraging you to do around this one is to check in and just ask yourself, do I feel like I am using this term or this moniker for this person as a crutch to not have to have a difficult or painful or challenging conversation or even just a straight boundary conversation, a quick statement? For example, you could have a really super racist uncle, let's say, at your Thanksgiving dinner table. And instead of saying something like, I don't share that opinion when they bring up something really awful and egregious, instead of saying something, you just let it slide and then call him names behind his back. He's such a racist. He's so toxic. He's a this. Okay, sure. But you also are allowing your silence to make you a liar. You are showing up complicit. And that's not really being very authentic or of integrity. And you also don't have to get involved in a full-on tough conversation with somebody. Sometimes it's just about being clear of that's not acceptable or please don't say those things in front of me or I don't share that opinion. So I'm going to excuse myself from this conversation. And that's it. It doesn't mean you have to always have a really deep come to Jesus with somebody in your life. All right. So number three. Branding people is toxic, so check in and just ask, is there anything here I need to own or I need to be more vocal about? Number four, this one is huge in self-help. Collecting but not implementing. And listen, it's completely not your fault (laughs) because a lot of the stuff around self-help is conceptual. It's ideas, it's ideologies, it's things to try on. Does that make sense to me? Does that feel good to me? Does that tool resonate with me? And so it's different than a lot of other scopes of learning where you can actually see a market change quantifiably. So what I mean by that is if you are studying Spanish, for example, you know at a point I'm totally fucking fluent right? With personal development, it's way more about how you feel and what you're thinking about and what you're experiencing. You don't necessarily have a a really crystal clear picture of things being different for you. Or if you want to be able to train for a marathon, as you start working on that, you get to a point where you have a benchmark of, okay, I now ran a marathon, check the box, learned the Spanish, wrote the book. But with personal growth, it's a far more nuanced and non-tactical 
thing that we experience, thing that we go through or that we're learning. This is why I highly encourage you every time you are learning something new about anything, whether it's boundaries or self-love or perfectionism, is to always think, what is my first step to implementing this? What can I actually do differently? I'm sure you've heard my Pilates metaphor, (laughs) probably at nauseum, but for any of you in the newbies out there, if you were to consume every fucking book on Pilates, you watched all the YouTube videos on Pilates, you listened to Pilates podcasts, nothing is going to change in your body. You are not going to get a stronger core. You're not going to be able to be more agile or flexible until you take action, until you hit the mat. So I want you to be thinking about when presented with a new topic or a new idea or you just heard it a little bit differently this time, I want you to ask yourself, what is the first piece of action that I can take? What can I actually do differently? Now, sometimes it's a very easy assignment or it's journal about this or go through this specific process. Those are great excavation practices to get that awareness, but now we have to implement. Now we actually have to do something about it. In fact, if you've been involved in personal development for a while and you remember the huge law of attraction boom that happened like around, I guess, like 05, 06, 07, that time, everyone thought, okay, as long as I just get this concept and I just think about and try to feel the things that I want to manifest in my life, I'll be good. No, what was really missing there was the action piece, doing something differently. In fact, this is one of the reasons why I think working with somebody consistently over a long period of time can dramatically change your ability to get into action. There's a huge amount of research that shows that when we have accountability, when we have trusted people in our corner, that we accomplish our goals so much faster. And I see this in my own program. So I'm sure you've heard me talk about Worthy, which is my signature program that spans over nine months. One of the reasons why it's in such a long container is because we need to have that consistency of accountability and here are the things that I want you to get into action around this week in order to create change. So many times I will give assignments to my students that are things like, okay, I want you to find three to five instances over the next week, and I want you to jot them down, three to five instances where someone was trying to put extra work on you at work and you declined. You said no. You politely declined. Three to five instances. That's getting into action and having somebody who's able to hold you accountable and a group that's supporting you. It is like no other. In fact, our world, I think, really amplifies this idea of individualism, specifically in the States. Individualism and capitalism, pull yourself up on your bootstraps, don't lean on anybody else, isolate, isolate, hustle, 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 be productive, make a ton of money, check off all the boxes, but we're not really talking about fulfillment and happiness. And that's why so many of the folks that I work with 
come to me after they've checked all those proverbial boxes. Wait, I did the thing. I went to school. I got a higher degree. I made partner at the law firm. I had 2.5 kids. I bought this gorgeous house. I've been working on my body. I've been doing all the things that everyone says I'm supposed to, and yet I'm not fucking happy. And it's because the things that we are implementing are the things that society is telling us to implement, not necessarily the things that make us genuinely fulfilled. So worthy has one spot remaining. It's been holding out. So it might be for you, you specifically listening right now, there's one spot left. I'm only taking eight, seven are gone. And like I said, it spans over nine months. You have tons of devoted attention from me where you can ask me questions about all sorts of shit that's going on in your life, not to mention a highly developed and scientifically backed curriculum that is all about changing your beliefs about who you are, genuinely anchoring in to how you want to perceive yourself, what you want to believe about yourself, which for most of us is I want to believe that I matter, that I am worthy, that I am enough. And that informs how you engage with other people. It changes your people-pleasing tendencies, perfectionism, trying to control everything, talking shit to yourself all the time, being scared of going after things in your life. When you believe that you are enough, every single thing in your life changes. So that curriculum, we dig into inner child stuff. We do emotional intelligence. We do attachment styles. We do tons of hypnosis. Very in-depth work around communication, effective communication, people-pleasing. Huge amount of work on belief systems. Changing that core tenet. But here's the deal. I am closing down registration this Thursday. Thursday is the last opportunity for you to apply. So if it has been pulling at you, if it has been tugging at you, and you've been thinking, I cannot keep going on this same path, the same trajectory that has me being my worst enemy, please go to amygreensmith.com worthy. You can read all about it. You can see the gorgeous retreats that are included. Two retreats, in-person retreats, not just some virtual bullshit. In-person retreats, all-inclusive, both of them. One in December at a gorgeous lakeside estate in northern North Carolina near this beautiful lake called Lake Gaston. And then one in May in Puerto Vallarta at a gorgeous boutique resort We went there last year. It was unreal. The food was fantastic. I'm still connected with some of the staff. It was an incredible experience. So again, if you need to shake some of this bullshit (laughs) and you want to feel really safe doing it and you resonate with my message and my tenure and acumen, please go to amygreensmith.com slash worthy. So number four, collecting but not implementing. At the edge of any new concept that you are privy to or anything that's really inspiring you, ask yourself, what is my first step of action? How can I quantify this a little bit better? Number five, another way that self-help can go a bit awry is dismissing or ignoring your delivery when you confidently boundary up with someone. Brene calls this being a boundary bully. 
And this is a way that we can get really elitist when we finally take back our own power. It's almost like we overcorrect and we say things like, well, that's just not possible. And I really don't appreciate you stepping on my boundaries. And, you know, where we weaponize personal development. Yes, boundary up with people. But let's not become callous and uncaring about the other person's experience. I'll give you an example from my own life. Many of you know that I have very polarized political and religious views from my mom. And we've had conversations about that many, many different times. And one in which she asked me to go to a church function with her or invited me to a church function. Now, if I was going to be a total boundary bully about it, I might say something like, I really don't appreciate you throwing that down my throat and you don't have any respect for my faith or my beliefs and you're always doing this. That would be where I'm weaponizing this idea of boundaries and I'm not even paying attention at all to my delivery, how I'm saying something. So do we need to change your perspective? No, not at all. We just need to own the delivery. In that situation, I went to her and said, hey, thank you so much for the invite. I know that's coming from a really positive place, but I need you to know that it doesn't feel very respectful on my end. I don't invite you to summer solstice events or talk to you about horoscopes because I know that that's offensive to you and I would really appreciate the same in return. So having a conversation more like that is being considerate and compassionate of the other person regardless of what's happening with you. So oftentimes when we get so bolstered like I'm going to finally speak up to my mom or my boss or my bestie, I'm going to finally say what's real for me, We it just spills all out because we haven't been working on that for so many years. We felt like we had to keep it all in. And in some, in some instances, it was safer to keep it all in. You paid a price by speaking up. And that can take some time to work through. Again, why there is nuance. It's not always the best choice to speak up, especially if you're dealing with somebody who's abusive. And again, I will say, Curtness, sharpness, having a real rough delivery does not apply when you are in the in the face of an abuser, right? Like if somebody is about to attack you, you don't need to have all your composure. <laughs> I really want that to be quite clear here. We're talking about two very, very different scenarios. But here's what I will see is somebody saying, I just need time for myself. And I I just need, I can't, I can't make it. And then bailing on something that somebody counted on them for. Maybe you committed to helping a friend move and now you're creating a boundary and you're being kind of a dick about it and you're acting like it's their fault when you've actually committed to something and now you're reneging on that and you're putting it under this mantle of a personal growth topic. Like, listen, if you cannot respect my boundaries, no, no, that's not what's happening here. You made a commitment. You need to withdraw on your commitment. And you're making it as though it's the other person's fault. That's not okay. So number five, recognizing that you are still responsible for your delivery, how you say something, even when you are establishing a boundary. Number six, this has also been a big conversation kind of in the personal development space over the last handful of years. And this is the idea of using toxic positivity 
What this is speaking to, at least from my perspective, is using an incorrect tool. I don't think that toxic positivity has always been ill-intended. In fact, I think it is born out of this idea that we want to change our perspective about things. So let's speak it into existence. Yes, I do think that that can be incredibly powerful, but not if you are in an intense emotional state. Here's what I mean by that. If you just got your ass handed to you by your boss and you feel like you are just about to cry or you're shaking or your heart's beating fast, That is not the time to layer on the tool of positive self-talk. So trying to calm yourself down by saying, you're powerful, you're capable, you can get through this, that is usually not helpful. The tool that I would look at in this sort of a scenario is to let yourself just feel your feelings. Have a really, really good fucking cry in the bathroom or go to your car, take an early lunch, do something where you can allow that emotion to run through you. If you are a person who overrides difficulty in your life by saying, it's fine, everything's fine, or I've gotten through hard things before, yes, those can be really helpful things to remind yourself of but not at the cost of processing what you are going through. Because what we are referring to when we're talking about toxic positivity is trying to put a Band-Aid on a really gaping wound. That's not the time for a Band-Aid. It's the time for alcohol and betadine and stitches and things like that. Like where It's a different tool that's being called for. Using a Band-Aid in that situation is not looking at the gravity of what you're experiencing. The gravity of that wound is that we need stitches. We need acute care. And the exact same thing happens with our emotional selves. This is another reason why I think it's incredibly helpful to have a mentor or a coach or a therapist who can help you discern between when to use certain tools and when not to. And all of that, again, comes back to this idea that it's personal, that each scenario is unique. Each relationship in your life is unique. You cannot have a blanket tool that will always apply in every situation. That's not the case. That's why you have to look inside. What is my modus operandi right now? What is the best tool for me right now? What am I needing? All right, so there you have it. There are six different ways that we can get a little derailed in our self-help journey and what we can actually do about it. So let's do a quick little recap. Number one, giving preachy or unsolicited advice. Antidote is basically to just get conversational consent. Number two, thinking you're done if you have addressed an issue once. Recognize that we're human. When a new thing pops up, new trauma is going to kick up old trauma. And that's okay. That's actually your body checking out that threat going, are you sure this is okay? This looks an awful lot like that last situation that we had. Number three, branding people as toxic or as narcissistic so that you don't have to deliver a boundary, speak up, or have a difficult conversation. Number four, collecting but not implementing. Again, asking yourself, what action step do I need to take so that I'm 
doing something differently with this information that I just absorbed. Number five, dismissing or ignoring your delivery when you confidently boundary up with someone and or using personal growth topics like boundaries or things like that as a weapon to cloak poor behavior. And finally, number six, using the wrong tool, (laughs) using toxic positivity when what really is being called for is processing and being with your emotions. And if you are listening to this stuff and you're going, yeah, I could really stand to have somebody reminding me of that all the time and I definitely need to move the needle here, please go check out Worthy. Even if it's not right for you at this time, I want it to be on your radar. It is so incredibly transformative. And the reality that that has been created right now has likely been formed for you unconsciously, without awareness, without consent in a lot of ways. But beliefs are malleable. We can change all of that stuff. It's literally science and you are not exempt from the science. So amygreensmith.com slash worthy. Let's get you to that point where you can proudly say, I am enough. And you don't question that at all. And watch all of the magic that unfolds in your life. One spot left. Get your applications in by this Thursday. If you're listening the day this drops, that is going to be September 28th. Last chance to get an application in because we start October 4th. Is that spot yours? Go to amygreensmith.com slash worthy or click the link in the show notes. I will see you around these parts next week. Please remember you are enough. Your voice matters. So go out there and speak your bold face truth. Okay, wait, 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 just one more thing. So these podcasts, it turns out, don't actually rate and review themselves. So I would be over the moon if you would leave a review, rate the show, subscribe, and tell anyone you know who needs to start speaking the fuck up for themselves. And if you do, I will give you a mini pig. Just kidding, but I will be so very incredibly grateful. Okay, thank you, bye.